0: If I Were You, a new antitrust podcast and blog series about antitrust risks that companies are facing and in five bullets or less, how in-house lawyers can explain those risks to the business side. I'm Molly Donovan, your host. I recently joined Bona Law as counsel and I'm very excited to be starting this new podcast at Bona, which is doing a lot of great things in terms of thought leadership in the antitrust space. I'm an antitrust litigator focused on internal investigations of criminal violations. Dealing with those violations with international enforcers and private lawsuits, and competition counseling and compliance. With me today, as my very first, if I were you, guest, is Aaron Gott. Aaron is a partner at Bona Law. Aaron's practice focuses on antitrust litigation and appeals. And interestingly, Aaron is one of the nation's leading lawyers on issues involving antitrust federalism and the state action immunity. Aaron also counsels clients on a range of antitrust compliance issues. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Absolutely, Molly. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. On this podcast, we're going to get right to the chase. Today's topic is monopolization. And we're talking about monopolization because the DOJ's Antitrust Division indicated recently that it's prepared to criminally prosecute conduct that it think violates Section 2 of the Sherman Act and that's the federal antitrust law that criminalizes monopolization and attempted monopolization. And the indication is newsworthy because the division hasn't actually brought Section 2 criminal charges in a lot of years, something like 40. So Aaron, my first question to you is, in your mind, do you think this indication means that monopolization charges are actually imminent?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, we don't really know what the real risk on the criminal front is, and it could mean little in terms of actual prosecutions. But the threat of government inquiries, and there's always been the threat of private treble damages lawsuits, uh, is there. So it's really not a bad idea for in-house lawyers to get a quick checkup on the topic.
0: Okay. And in two sentences, why are you the right antitrust lawyer to be talking about monopolization?
1: Well, I've dealt with section two quite a bit over the course of my career. Uh, in the counseling and investigative context, and I've also dealt with monopolization issues in uh, the state action immunity context. I was lead counsel in over a dozen monopolization cases involving emergency medical transport, where a city decided to monopolize an ambulance market because monopolies are very profitable and their fire departments already provide some EMS related services.
0: Sounds interesting. Um, All right. With that, let's move on to the meat and potatoes of monopolization. So in-house lawyers, if I were you, I would educate your business team of the following five bullet points concerning monopolization. Bullet one, you do not have to be a major tech company or a telecom giant to be a monopolist. Aaron, can you tell us a little bit why that is?
1: Sure. That's because market power is not measured based on the sheer size of a company. Market power is based on a company's ability to control pricing or competition within a particular product market. The result is that a relatively small company that happens to dominate even a niche product area could be seen as a monopolist. Similarly, you don't have to dominate every market in which you participate to be a monopolist. So a company could have market power as to one product, uh, but not for another product where it has small market share and still be a monopolist. Another thing is that a market isn't just limited by the product, but also by geography. So you could also be a monopolist if you're the only firm that a customer in a particular area could turn to. Examples include ambulances, like I mentioned above, or ready mixed concrete, which can't travel very far.
0: Okay, bullet two. You do not have to have 100 or even 90% market share to be a monopolist. Depending on the circumstances, even 50 to 70% share could indicate monopoly power or a dangerous possibility thereof. Aaron, just off the top, what are some of those circumstances that, along with market share, might indicate dominant market power?
1: I'd say anytime there's a market where new competition is unlikely to happen in the short term, that's what we call significant barriers to entry. And that could be in terms of intellectual property, physical production of a product, highly regulated area, or any number of other factors. A long duration of prices being charged significantly above cost, few or no domestic competitors, and insignificant or no competition from imports.
0: Bullet three. If that sounds like your business because you have the market share and the surrounding circumstances, or some of the surrounding circumstances, then if I were you, I'd be cautious to undertake any conduct that could appear to be exclusionary. Uh, Aaron, what's sort of your high-level definition of conduct that's exclusionary?
1: I think anything that could be seen as coercion. When you're coercing a business partner to do something that they ordinarily would not do if the market were competitive, threatening a supplier that unless it supplies a necessary component only to you, you'll stop doing business with that supplier. It could also mean abusing government processes for the purpose of delaying or stifling an up-and-coming competitor, or even committing run-of-the-mill business torts. There's endless possibilities here, so I'll just add that the less that it seems like competition on the merits, the more likely it is that it could be characterized as nakedly anti-competitive, and that's what gets you into trouble.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. That's a helpful explanation. Uh, Bullet four, mitigate any appearance of naked exclusionary conduct. How can you do this, Aaron? I know it's hard without a specific factual situation to think about, but just big picture.
1: So usually um, there, there are certain times you want to avoid papering something up, but when it comes to the benefits to competition and consumers, you should definitely paper it up. Track the success of your decision in terms of the benefits to consumers that result from those decisions. And you should also know that pro-competitive justifications don't include excluding a competitor from the market.
0: Right. Um, okay. Bullet five. This is our, our last bullet for today. If If I were you, I'd avoid any semblance of an agreement, even vertical, to establish an exclusive dealing relationship or otherwise condition the sale of your dominant product, without getting legal advice first. Aaron, do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd add that true unilateral conduct falls under section two, which is a tough road to climb for anyone who's looking to challenge it. But once you're agreeing with third parties to restrict competition, you're under section one and things get dicier. So it's really important that you get guidance on the best possible way to structure what you're trying to do.
0: Good advice. Then that's it. Those are our five bullets on monopolization. We're just going to caveat that determining market power and the propriety of particular conduct needs to be evaluated only in a specific factual context to do it properly. Uh, Same with strategies for risk mitigation. But today's five bullet points should help your business team spot at least some of the major flags. Again, I'm Molly here with Erin. And for our contact info, go to bonalawpc.com. We'll be back soon with the next episode of If I Were You.